The Truth and Love Ministry is pleased to present Truth and Love Radio with former Muslim and now Christian pastor Sharam Hadian. Sharam is from Iran and is now a proud U.S. citizen living in Washington State. In addition to being a pastor and conference speaker, he is also the host of the weekly television program Till TV. And now, here is your host, Sharam Hadian. This is Pastor Sharam Hadian, and we thank you for joining us today on Truth and Love Radio. Folks, I've been doing a, a series of shows here uh, on the ongoing Islamization of America and the West. Uh, I've done some shows in the past that are archived on our website, but these are uh, shows that we're, we're, we're focusing on now because we are seeing a greater movement uh, of Islam in the West, a greater manifestation of Islam in the West, and sadly, most Westerners, most Americans, most Christians don't really understand Islam, don't really know the, 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 the truth of it. And again, as the Bible tells us as Christians, as the Lord sends, sends us out as sheep among wolves, which Muslims are, they're wolves, spiritually speaking, um, we must be shrewd or wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And so therefore, if we're going to be shrewd as a serpent, we should understand how the serpent is operating, how Satan is operating through this false ideology that is Islam and how it's deceiving many, many in the world, including many Christians who are being deceived by it. Uh, and that's why our brand new DVD that we have uh, is so critical, the Trojan horse of interfaith dialogue between Christians and Muslims. Again, you can go on our website under the order tab and order that copy, share it with friends and family, have a Bible study, share it with your pastor. Folks, it's critical for us to get these messages out. Or you can order our combo pack, which is uh, all six of our Islam exposing DVDs, over 12 hours of content, plus special features. Uh, it is like taking a 202 or 303 level college course on Islam if they ever, you know, if it was offered anywhere, or even a seminary course on understanding Islam. Uh, just just a lot of information there. So I want to jump in today. We, we, we covered in the previous shows the two house concepts of Islam, the Dar al-Harb, Dar al-Islam. Again, very important to understand foundational to understand part of the concept of the upper house once muslims go to the upper house and sharia becomes in effect is the fact that if anybody speaks out against islam they must be stopped you cannot allow non-muslims to speak negatively of islam uh, and go unpunished and this is part of the um, the punishment of, of, of what is referred to as slander of Islam. And, of course, this is where the concept of the term Islamophobia came from. We, we see this term Islamophobia being used as a battering ram to try to destroy anybody, label anybody that would speak truly of Islam um, simply because they're, they get offended by it. So if you speak ill of Islam, but it's factual, it's fact-based, it's historically based, it's scripturally based from Islamic texts, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you have slandered Islam. And so I want to cover this for you today as part of the ongoing Islamization. And the more we see the promotion of Islamophobia, the more we see the protection of Islam by not being able to speak out against it, by, by, by it being made to be criminal to speak out against it, the more 
we are getting closer to the upper house because, again, it's Sharia compliance. To, to not be able to speak ill of Islam is to be Sharia compliant because it is slander in Islam to do that. So I want to first cover some Islamic text on this subject, and then we're going to look at where does the word Islamophobia come from, what is its goal, and what do we see practically happening in uh, our nation and around the world, and how does the interfaith movement play into this in a very, very sinister and evil way. So uh, I want to first cover a, a verse from the, from the Quran, Surah 33, 57 to 62. And this is a verse about slander. And here's what the punishment is. Listen to this. Lo, those who malign Allah and his messenger, Allah hath cursed them in the world and the hereafter and hath prepared for them the doom of the disdained. So if anybody maligns Allah or his messenger, that is Muhammad, even if it's factual, right? Even if it's factual, but you malign them, the first punishment is Allah is going to curse you to hell. So you're cursed in this life and you're going to go to hell. Okay. I'm not really worried about that because my hands, my life, your life is in the hands of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We know that Allah, even if he's Satan, has no power to curse us for the ever after. Only the true God can either bring us into, into heaven, into eternity with him or Remove us from his presence into hell. Only the true God can do that. Amen. Now, accursed, wherever they are found, the verse goes on to say, being seized and massacred completely. You go, well, how can they be massacred completely? I mean, if you're massacred, you're massacred, you're dead completely. Well, it's talking about not just them, but those around them, that you have to be able to make an example of them so it's done in a complete fashion. So not only are they accursed, meaning that they, they're going to go to hell, but you have to seize them and kill them. So now we start seeing a, a, a punishment in this life. Now we start seeing that if you malign Allah and, and Muhammad or Islam in any way, now you can be killed. Well, now, okay, there's a problem because I'm not worried about, you know, the, the ever after uh, eternity because Allah has no power uh, to send me to hell or heaven. But I, 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 I should be concerned a little bit if somebody wants to kill me because I am speaking truthfully about Islam. It goes on to saying, in, in case those of us who think, or maybe the, the, we hear from Muslim apologists who say, well, look, that was 7th century. That was, you know, back then. doesn't apply today. Islam has been, you know, <clears throat> uh, brought into the 21st century. Islam has been moderated. Islam is going to go through a reform. Here's what the verse goes on to say. This is the established way of Allah with those who passed on before, and you will not find in the way of Allah any change. So this is what Allah did before. This is what Allah is doing today, and it's not going to change. The punishment for maligning Allah and Muhammad and Islam, even if it's factual, is not only being cursed, but being killed completely, massacred completely. That is not only a threat, but that's against our Constitution. That is why in two of our DVDs, again, the Unveiling the True Face of Islam DVD, where I go through this verse, 
but also in our Islam and assault, Islam and uh, its assault on the U.S. Constitution or Islam's assault on the U.S. Constitution DVD that we have, where we go through looking at the legal aspects of how Sharia law violates our Constitution. Here is one of them because this is directly a violation of the First Amendment. So to say something about Islam and then to be worried about Islam violating the First Amendment by trying to stop us from saying something about Islam is a real concern. It's not Islamophobia. But that's the narrative that has been shoved down our throats. And as as I'll show you, many Christians are participating in that narrative as well. So this is scripturally uh, a death sentence. Now, Let's bring in a couple other um, uh, verses. Uh, I want to look at the Hadith, Sahih Bukhari 59, 369. This is a story of the mur- murder of a Jewish poet named Kab bin al-Ashraf. And here is the way it goes. He wrote, he had written, <clears throat> particularly in Mecca, <clears throat> because there were many Jews in Mecca and in Yathrib and Medina, about Muslims that Muhammad found insulting. So he found he, he had written poets. Uh, he was a Jewish poet who wrote uh, uh, po- poetry about Muslims that Muhammad found insulting. So because Muhammad found it insulting, that gives him a right to go kill him, right? Not according to our laws, but according to Islamic law, yes, because here's what it says. He asked Muhammad, he asked his followers, quote, who will rid me of this man? And several volunteered. Al-Ashraf was stabbed to death while fighting for his life. So Muhammad actually solicits murder for hire. By the way, in the United States, that's a first-degree capital offense. He solicited somebody go kill this guy because he's insulting me. He's insulting Islam. I don't like what he's saying. Go kill him. And somebody goes and kills him, stabs him to death. That is sunnah. Sahih Bukhari, the most authenticated hadith. That is sunnah of Muhammad that a person who maligns, slanders, insults a Muslim, or in this case, Muhammad, must be killed. Here's another Sahih Bukhari 4241. Sahih Bukhari 4241. Those who mocked Muhammad at Mecca were killed after he had retaken the city and asserted his authority. Now remember, I told you this before. In Mecca, in the early verses, in the early phase of his quote-unquote ministry, Muhammad was in the minority. He didn't have a lot of power. So he um, uh, fled. They hijrahed to Medina. They set up shop. They gained power. He claims the verses change. He gets a military, an army. And he then makes a treaty with the people of Mecca called the Treaty of Hudabiyah. But because lying is permissible in the upper house with the lie of treaty, remember that's the only lie that is permissible in the upper house, he then broke the Treaty of Hudabiyah approximately after two and a half years. He goes back to Mecca, routes Mecca, uh, takes over the Kaaba, makes it now an Islamic religious tradition, uh, destroys the idols, except for, of course, the idol of his tribe of the Korayesh, and he then brings forth all of those who had mocked him as a prophet in Mecca. Remember, he was claiming that he was the final prophet, right? Well, the Jews in Mecca were like, we're not going to follow you. We have our own prophets. Judaism, remember, was, was around, uh, you know, Abraham was 2,500 years before Muhammad was ever even born. 
So the Jews are going, we're not going to follow you. You claim to be the final prophet. You're not the Messiah. You're not the final prophet. So because they mocked him when he took the city and he had power, he retaliates and orders all of those to be killed. And they were. Does that make sense? This is Sunnah of Muhammad. He's the example. He's the perfect man. Also, in the Reliance of the Traveler, section P9.0, if you lie about the prophet, now, remember, who determines if it's a lie? The Muslim. So even if I'm telling the truth about Muhammad, he was married to 11 women. He was a mass murderer. He was a genocidal, homicidal maniac. He was a pervert. He was a pedophile. On and he was a false prophet. Even if I say these things, which I can factually show are true in Islamic law, in Islamic text, if the Muslim says that's a lie about the prophet, excuse me, according to the Sharia law manual, Reliance of the Traveler, that person could face Islamic punishment even up to death. So this is in the Quran. This is in the Sunnah, in the Hadith. This is in the Sharia. All three areas consider slander of Islam, Muhammad or Allah, to be a death sentence. A death sentence. This is why Islam is incompatible with the First Amendment. This is why we should be making an argument, a legal argument. So now let's look at where this has come in the 21st century. Because we now have a term called Islamophobia, which is a label that people are throwing at anybody that, quote-unquote, slanders Islam. So let's first look at the origin of it and or define it, look at the origin, and then we'll look at some specific things, aspects of how it's being applied. So the term Islamophobia, of course, phobia is a fear, right? The idea of Islamophobia is an irrational or fear of Islam. But it's an irrational fear, not a rational fear, a irrational fear or phobia of Islam. Well, for example, I'm an apostate of Islam. I left Islam according to the Quran, according to Muhammad, according to the Sharia law manual. I must be killed if I don't repent and return to Islam. If that's the case, is that a irrational fear or a rational fear? I would say it's a rational fear. If I speak out on Islam as 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 a speaker, as a public speaker, as a pastor, I travel and speak and I, and I share it in our church. And according to their slander laws, if Muslims had the upper house and had up the, the, the upper hand and had power, they could kill me. Is that a rational fear or irrational fear? Remember the Pamela Geller event in Garland, Texas, where she had she was doing the Drawing Muhammad cartoon event. And those two two Muslims from Arizona drove to shoot up her event. Thank God they were stopped by a police officer there. They had full, they had body armor, they had AK-47s, they had uh, uh, multiple uh, mags of am- ammunition. They were going in there to shoot up that event and kill everybody because Gert Wilders was there, Robert Spencer was there, Pamela Geller was there, and um, you know that's what they were going to do. And by the way, uh, as I've mentioned before, Pamela Geller is, uh, is suing the FBI and the security guard who was shot in the leg is suing the FBI because we now know there was an FBI agent undercover who followed these two guys all the way from Arizona to Garland, Texas to carry out this event and didn't stop them, didn't inform the FBI uh, or, or 
at least we think we didn't he didn't inform the FBI, but maybe they knew. But he for sure did not inform local law enforcement or her security team. She had hired a SWAT team to protect them. So it makes you think, does the FBI, does law enforcement in some cases want these things to happen to us? Because many media pundits after that attack said, well, you know, she deserved it. After all, that's what you get for slandering Islam, for maligning Islam as if it's a right to go kill somebody just because you don't agree with them. This is why we have a First Amendment, and if we don't live by it, then it's useless. So the term Islamophobia, where did it come from? Well, there's a lot of debate about that. There is some sources that say it goes back to the 1970s by some Iranian fundamentalists who coined the term after the Iranian Revolution to um, th- th- they got it from the term xenophobia um, and they, they sort of you know created the term Islamophobia from xenophobia. Um, some say that it was possibly initiated by the International Institute of Islamic Thought, which is a uh, worldwide Islamic organization. We don't exactly know where it was started. However, we know now that it is openly being promoted by the largest voting bloc in the United Nations, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which is the 56 Muslim countries in Palestine being 57. Of course, Palestine is not a country, never has been. 57 uh, member body of the of the UN. We know that it is being, of course, ad nauseum pushed by the Islamic uh, uh, apologist, the Muslim brother, and so forth and so on. Care uses the term like it's... You know, there's all the time. Um, UN Agenda 1618. The OIC created and put forth UN Agenda 1618, which is basically um, an anti-defamation of religion uh, agenda out of the United Nations. The goal was to end the defamation of Islam by any means possible, including criminalization. That agenda then went into Europe. And Europe passed and many western european countries like great britain they have now defamation of religion laws where you can't defame any religion well guess what the number one religion that it's protecting is not christianity or judaism it's protecting islam and that's why you've had european leaders like even gert wilders or others who have been charged and been persecuted i'm sorry prosecuted for speaking factually about islam because of anti-defamation of religion laws. Now, last year, year and a half ago, we saw this manifest in Canada, where the Islamic uh, movement up there, the Muslim Brotherhood in Canada, was able to pass an anti-Islamophobia resolution titled M103. They want that to go from being a resolution, which which is what it is right now, which bears no, technically no weight of law, to becoming legislation. We know that Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, crooked Hillary Clinton, corrupt Hillary Clinton, criminal Hillary Clinton, brought into public policy in the State Department and ultimately by the Obama administration into the Justice Department and Homeland Security and FBI, Resolution 1618, the one I mentioned earlier. So even though it's not law in the U.S., it's in public policy. That's why... I believe the State Department put pressure on Homeland Security to oust someone like Phil Haney or others because they were concerned about violating the rights of 
Muslims or foreign nationals, which is just insanity. Now, the Islamic movement is now working overtime to try to get Islamophobia, not just being a term or a label or a stigma, but actually in legislation. So let's not kid ourselves. They've done it in the UN. They've done it in Europe. They're doing it in Canada. Now they want to do it in the U.S. And it's already in policy. They want to get it into law. The Muslim Brotherhood Political Party that I covered in the last program, the USCMO, the United States Council of Muslim Organization, along with, of course, CARE, that is a member of that political party, have joined interfaith groups to have advocacy days at many state capitals and in Washington, D.C. for four years in a row. Now, the USCMO has been around since 2015, but for four years in a row, these Muslim organizations have, have, have uh, descended on the, 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 you know, our, our national capital in D.C. to push for three things. They want to criminalize Islamophobia. They want to um, basically push for more uh, gun control. And they want to bring about um, Sharia accommodation in government, in schools, by recognizing Muslim holidays, recognizing halal. Um, they want those to become legal holidays. So, so sort of low-hanging fruit is stop the slander of Islam or religious minorities, quote-unquote, but specifically Islam. Um, there was a bill that was passed by Congress overwhelmingly that mentions protecting religious minorities from any um, hate crimes or or speech that would defame them, it's already in law now in that sense, and it doesn't mention Christianity. But their ultimate goal is to criminalize Islamophobia, number one. Number two, get recognition of Islam governmentally, religious holidays, um, Sharia compliance like halal, meat, and so forth and so on. And number three, they want gun control. Why do they support gun control? Because gun control is part of the demitude. When a when Muslims gain power or they declare an area to be Dar al-Islam, they then want also to work on having giving no ability for the non-Muslims to fight back in Iran. When Khomeini came in in Iran, they disarmed the citizens within two years in Iran. Within two-plus years, the Iranian people had no way of defending themselves. That's why that's totalitarian. That's a totalitarian regime. That's that's fascism. That's why when you see protests in Iran, it doesn't go anywhere because the people have no way of defending themselves. When they protest, when they, when they peacefully protest, when they go on the streets, there's no one to defend them. And the, the Iranian government cracks down. People get arrested. They get tortured. Some disappear and are never seen again which we just saw a few months ago. So let's be very clear. Their number one priority is hate speech legislation. Because again, remember, slander is a death sentence in Islamic law. If you were in an Islamic country, you could be killed for it. But because they're not in an Islamic country and Sharia is not governing the West yet, they want legislation criminalizing any criticism of Islam, even if it is factual. Okay, let me say it one more time. They want the criminalization of hate speech against Islam, any criticism of Islam, even if factual. So when our events were shut down, 
in Wisconsin and Minnesota. When we had the Southern Poverty Law Center that is now working with, with the Muslim Brotherhood in care, when we had Antifa and communist groups calling these hotels and calling the city of Onalaska to get our events canceled, and the Worldview Weekend events were canceled within 36 hours of the events, thousands of, mo- of dollars of money was lost by Brannon and by us because we lost revenue being there. Our ministry lost several thousand dollars of, of what revenue would have been had we been there. Uh, we had to have change our flights, change rental cars. I lost money on our flight because I was supposed to fly out of Milwaukee. I had to change my flight. It cost us money. Well, they don't care. So they affected our commerce. They affected our right of free speech. They affected our right, our, our right of our freedom of religion and our right of freedom of assembly. But this is the MO. This is the MO. And they're working with interfaith groups to push this MO. And when we come back on the program next time, I will go into a little bit more detail again about how the interfaith coalitions, these these so-called Christian organizations, are working with Muslims and the Muslim Brotherhood to fight, watch this, combat Islamophobia and anti-Muslim bigotry. So they're going to use Christians to help them fight. Muslims are going to use Christians to help them fight other Christians like myself and you who are warning about Islam, speaking factually about Islam. Doesn't matter. It's Islamophobia. And folks, when you see laws being passed, like in Canada, to to protect Islam, any criticism of Islam, and you see anti-Islamophobia resolutions, you see Agenda 1618, defamation of religion laws, they are either in the upper house, like in Europe, because they've already gotten those laws passed, Sharia compliance, or they're very close to the upper house, like in Canada and the U.S., because they're basically going there. Anti-Islamophobia laws, legislation, is Sharia compliance. Sharia compliance is upper house. Do we get it? This is how serious it is. This is how far down the road we are. So please, 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 let's wake up. Let's educate others. Share these programs. Share this program. Share this entire series that we've done. This is critical information. I'm doing this so that you have resources at your fingertips. So when someone says, oh, well, it's not okay for us to stand or Islam, or it's not okay this, or it's not okay that, or it's not loving, or it's not whatever, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove. And that's how we're going to fight this battle. It's an information battle first. It's a knowledge battle first before, uh, well, and it's a spiritual battle first before anything else. So God bless you. We'll see you on the the program next time uh, as we continue to talk about the ongoing Islamization of America and the West. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Truth in Love Radio with Pastor Sharam Hadian. You can visit our website, order DVDs, subscribe to our podcast, or support the ministry at www.tilproject.com. Please join us next time for another installment of Truth in Love Radio.